Moffat. I'm Jan Moffat. And this is Clockworks, a Legion podcast. And this week we're not talking about anything that has to do with Legion. Remember when you used to pun at these parts? My kingdom for a pun. <laughs> no. <laughs> the movie, the thing we're talking about this week is Moonrise Kingdom. The film by Wes Anderson from 2000 whatever it was. <laughs> we're not looking to. it up. We're not looking it no. up. No looking anything up. I'm looking it up. Don't look it up. I'm looking it um, up. Before we go into Moonrise Kingdom. 2012. Don't look it up, I said. <laughs> I have to look it up. Before we go into Moonrise Kingdom, what the... What does yeah. Moonrise Kingdom have to do with Legion? That's Why are we talking about Moonrise Kingdom on a exactly Legion Exactly what podcast? I'm asking myself Literally exactly what I'm asking myself. Well, cast your mind back. Way back? Maybe I'll add a thing, except that I probably won't. Let's imagine. Let's do it ourselves. <laughs> to our very first episode where we of Clockworks, where we talked about things that Legion reminded us of. That was based on having seen the four pa- episodes. Four episodes. Yeah. The first four episodes. And one of the things we said was Wes Anderson. We thought that it reminded us of Wes Anderson. Mm-hmm. So we're we're talking about Moonrise Kingdom because we rewatched Moonrise Kingdom, and we'll talk about Moonrise Kingdom as kind of a representative Wes Anderson movie. Before we get more into that, why did we watch Moonrise Kingdom as a representative Wes Anderson movie? Because it's good. Yeah. Basically, I had seen it only the once, and when we saw it, it was like it was quite late at night. I enjoyed it, but I was very tired. I didn't really remember much about it, and so I really did really want to see it again. And so, and I knew that, it, yeah, it was a good, one of the good ones. Most of these are good. I don't know that there are any that I would call yeah. one of the bad ones. Yeah. You haven't seen Rushmore, right? I've never seen Rushmore. You should I have, have watched seen, Rushmore. It's true. I've seen Royal Tannenbaum's uh, Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Uh, what's the other one? The Hotel. Grand Budapest Hotel. And Fantastic and, Mr. Fox. I'm not sure I've seen Fantastic Mr. Fox. Have you not? I can't remember if we watched it with the kids. We should watch it for our other podcast. We should. Our other podcast, in case you're unaware, is called Way Too Seriously, and it is a critical analysis of kids' movies. So, we're not claiming that Moonrise Kingdom is the legioniest of Wes Anderson movies. Nope. Um, Definitely not. <laughs> what do you think is the legioniest of Wes Anderson movies? Possibly Royal Tannenbaums, or... Or Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou. Yeah, I kind of think the Life Aquatic is. Um, but there are things even in Moonrise Kingdom to connect. And so I want to take a moment before we get into Moonrise Kingdom to talk about why did Legion remind us of Wes Anderson? What is there Wes Anderson-y about Legion? It's, I think it's the romance. It's the music and the romance aspect of it that is very, like... When David says, in the first episode, David says, do you want to be my girlfriend? In, like, such a very Wes Anderson-y way. It's very deadpan. Yep. And there, there's a lot of moments in Legion that are like that, that are that kind of emotionless, 
very straight, but also, but it like, it has a bit of comedy because it's so straight. Yeah, absolutely. So I think, I mean, I feel like the first episode, Happy Jack, we called it, of Mm -hmm. Legion is the one that reminds me most of Wes Anderson. Yeah. And continues to, but there are other things like the the aesthetic of Clockworks with the jumpsuits is very Royal, Royal Tannenbaums. Yes, exactly. And then the general surrealness. Sometimes in Legion, the surrealness is really malevolent in a way that it isn't ever in a Wes Anderson movie. Mm-hmm. But sometimes it's comic, especially in the first episode. The uh, sudden dance number in the first episode is a moment of this, like, fever dream surrealness that could, you could plop that into a Wes Anderson movie and not miss a beat. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. And then, so there's a lot of the use of color and the aesthetic, the surreal, the deadpan humor, and I think you named the best one. I totally Mm. agree. Do you want to be my girlfriend? Sure, but you can't touch me. Okay. Yeah. Like, that could so easily be a scene in yeah. the Royal Tenenbaums or what have you. Or Moonrise Kingdom. Or Moonrise Kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, so all of that reminded us of Wes Anderson and some things that are really appealing about Wes Anderson. Not just uh, superficial things, but like some parts of why Wes Anderson movies are so appealing, I think, in general, but to us personally. Mm-hmm. One of the things I love about Wes Anderson is the surreal, mm-hmm. the way that things are off-kilter, and he plays it always for comedy, and Noah Hawley plays it in Fargo, he plays it for comedy, mm-hmm. and in Legion, a little, a little less. less. Yeah. But there's he has also... A, sorry, you talk. There's also the setting in time... A lot of Wes Anderson movies are set kind of in the 60s or, at a, you know, not current, but in the same way as Legion, not quite as, as dramatically as Legion, but they are not actually what that time was like. Right. They're a fictionalized version of 1964 or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, so when I said... I think The Life Aquatic with Steve Zizou was the most legion-y Wes Anderson. That's for the surrealness and the way that the surreal in The Life Aquatic, I think, gets more threatening than it does in any other Wes Anderson movie. Although it never gets very threatening. Yeah. But it gets, like, there's a darker edge to the surrealness in that than most Wes Anderson movies, I think. Mm-hmm. But when when we're talking about the specifics of the first episode of Legion, I'm now tending to agree with you that the Royal Tenenbaum jumpsuit aesthetic is strong. Yeah. Is a strong connection in my mind, if not in Noah Hawley's. Mm -hmm. Who knows? Do you want to get a bit actually into Moonrise Kingdom? Yeah. I mean, what do you like about it? What do I like about it? Let's talk a little bit about it as a movie. For disclaimer, we're not... From this point on, we're not going to make any effort, I think, to connect it to Legion. Yeah. All of this was just why we're talking about a Wes Anderson movie in Mm -hmm. a Legion context. Now let's actually talk about this movie on its own terms. Yeah. Do you want to give a... Do we need to give a summary of the movie at all? It's about two kids who escape from their home and summer camp and have a romance. Yeah. That's basically what happens. Yeah, and it's about life on an on an island, which I found really appealing. Mm-hmm. And one kid is there at summer camp at uh, like 
Boy Scouts, only they're called something else. Again. Khaki Scouts. Khaki Scouts. Khaki Which Scouts. is the best. Oh, that was the best. And he's been pen pals with a girl who lives on the island. He is an orphan. And so he runs away to meet her. They go off and have an adventure. And the various adults try and find them. With mixed up, success. Yeah, yeah, with mixed success. And the police officer at the end adopts him. Yeah. So what do you... Uh, what do you think about Moonrise Kingdom? Do you like this movie? It's really great. It's a really fun movie. It's really like... I mean, it's the weird, surreal, a very uh, straight-faced humor. Mm-hmm. And it's also beautiful. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of just like... The shot compositions are... He likes... Wes Anderson likes a very like a steady camera in the middle of the frame. And then the actors walk into it and walk out of it. And the camera stays in the exact same place. And it gives this... And it makes the camera do the same thing as the actor's words. And so, like, the actors will say something completely like, you can kiss me now. And it's this very, like, monotone delivery. And it's like the camera is doing the same thing. The camera is being this, like, a monotone, but, like, yeah, staying I, there in the one place. I think that's really excellent uh, way of, of explaining why the camera works fits so well with the acting. Mm-hmm. It's this, the camera's monotone, I think, is exactly accurate. And, like, the other thing he really likes to do is have, when the camera does move, the camera will pan sideways and all the action will be happening in the same uh, horizontal plane. Yeah. So it makes it seem like it's, you know, a stage play or something, mm-hmm. where, or a dollhouse, or, like, they're all set pieces, but it'll be filmed on location. So, like, mm-hmm. an outdoor... For example, the beginning of the camp when Edward Norton's character gets up and just walks sideways and he comes across all these different set pieces that are all on the same horizontal plane and the camera stays completely level and just moves with him and it seems like he's walking through, like, the world around him is completely stationary and he's just walking through it and the camera reproduces that and the way that the things he comes across reproduce that and then later... When they're searching, they're doing the search party, the same thing happens. It Like, the camera moves sideways to all the different people searching, but they're all in the exact same horizontal plane. Yeah, absolutely. And in the very fir- the very first scene has the house where the girl lives. I can't remember her name right now. Susie. Susie, of course. And it's going from room to room with nobody in any of those rooms at first. And the way that it cuts, like, right through the walls and right through the floor to the ceiling, it makes it feel like you're looking at a dollhouse. So much so that I almost thought it was a dollhouse until the kids, like, tumbled down the stairs, basically. And I was like, oh, wow, this is actually a house. But I was so in the mode of, like, this looks like a dollhouse. I think there's even, there is even, is a dollhouse there. In, like, in the shot, there's a little dollhouse there. I did, there was. And not, not matching the exact same house, but just like a, a dollhouse. And I know that he, in Royal Tannenbaum's, there's a dollhouse as well. He's kind of, he likes, you get the impression he likes dollhouses. And so do I. 
Mm -hmm. I'm very fascinated by dollhouses and miniatures, so like to have a world that feels like that is really appealing to me personally. And he really treats the actors and sets like they're a big dollhouse. Yeah. Like, and part of that is, as you said, the way the camera is so stationary. The part of it is, as I already said, the way people move from one horizontal plane to another. So everything is just there, mm-hmm. and you get more of a sense in a Wes Anderson movie than in any other movie I know of of a director just like playing with the characters in the world and mm-hmm. moving them from one room to the other and they're yeah. like they're almost like dioramas yeah absolutely like like, yeah i think that's totally right mm-hmm. um you said it's beautiful just in terms of the beauty of the movie mm-hmm. i want to talk a bit about the costumes mm, yes yeah talk, tell me about the costumes what do you like about them I love the costuming (laughs) in this movie. Mm -hmm. It is so good. And what you said earlier about it is the 60s, this movie, I can't remember other Wes Anderson movies, whether they are, you are given a date, but this movie is, you know, there is a exact date that this Mm -hmm. movie is set. I don't remember when when it is, but it's like... It's 1964. 1964, but it's like January or... It's the summer, so... summer. July 18th on 6 p.m. Like, we mm-hmm. have an exact uh, anchor in time. in time, in contrast to Legion. Um, but as you said, I don't know a ton about the aesthetics of the 60s, but I don't get the impression that anything about this is going for verisimilitude that anything about this is going for reproducing the way people actually looked in the 60s. Yeah. But it's, it's all the way we so remember. It's the way good. we remember the 60s. It's always the thing. And I want to talk first, if I'm going to talk about the costuming in this movie, I want to talk about Susie and her, like, her costume is so good. This, like, pink uh, 60s dress. Mm-hmm. Knee-high socks. Knee-high socks and Sunday school shoes. (laughs) And, like, it is so fantastic. I love it. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. First of all, not first of all, I've said that 12 times, first of all, but for one thing, I really like uh, kids dressed in grown-up clothes. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Which she is. Like, she's... 13 or however old she is Mm -hmm. Uh, and her clothes look very like what a 20 year old in the 60s is wearing especially her makeup too she has very very heavy eyeliner heavy eyeliner and it all looks both very well done she looks like great Mm -hmm. but it also there's this level of irony that like she looks like she's dressed up like an adult yeah and I think on both those levels it works. If there was an adult dressed like that, it would also look great. And it would also look like a little girl, too, because yeah, of knee socks. Exactly. And then, so her, I love her costuming throughout a lot. And then the khaki scouts. Yep. And the way that they also draw attention to the khaki scout, khaki scout costume because Edward Norton keeps... Uh, like talking about people's uniforms and citing them for a uniform violation. And mm-hmm. so he's that the script is drawing attention to the way that the khaki scouts are dressed. And it's like a heightened version of a Cub Scout uniform. It is, it's yeah. all 
and, and even that they're called khaki. Skeletus yeah. is drawing attention to the khaki. And speaking of people who are dressed like the wrong age, like Edward Norton in his niche, in his uh, knickerbocker shorts. Yeah. And he also has like high socks and shorts and yeah. like is dressed like, you know, child. He's, he's dressed in <laughs> short pants. Yep. And they're like scarves that are all all tied so immaculately on all the the uh, mm -hmm. khaki scouts. Like the cat, they just all and look the, so the, good. The Davy Crockett hat on yeah. the little boy. On Sam. Sam. Sam is wearing a coonskin cap, which is for one thing completes his look so point like so well. Mm -hmm. And also, I wore a coonskin cap. <laughs> it wasn't the sixties, and I wasn't a scout, but like. I totally wore a coonskin cap and it was the best. And I w see him wearing a coonskin cap and I'm like, yeah! <laughs> uh, I was he like puts, five or something. Yeah, he puts leaves in his hat to, to cool himself down and she's like, you're wearing a fur cat. And he just won't <laughs> take it off. He doesn't take it off for a very long Except, time. No, because it's so much more that's, it's so much more deadpan than that, right? Because yeah, exactly. he's like, you can put leaves in your hat to cool your head, she says. Or you, you could not wear a fur hat. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> Neither one of them are being sarcastic about it. No, not it at is all. So good. Yeah. I'm like, so the specific. Those are the two specific costumes I wanted to draw attention to. But also, people wear like monochromatic. Yeah. Things and the way that's again. Clothes. I didn't think of this when I started until you pointed out about Susie being dressed like, even if it was a, an adult, it would be a child, and a mm. child is an adult. Think about uh, Bruce Willis, the cop, and how his police uniform is this, like, baby blue that makes him look childish. Yeah, absolutely. The adults are dressed like children, and the children are dressed like adults. Isn't he in white? He's in, like, maybe b baby... He's in, like, a, uh, a blue-white. Okay. Baby blue, robin egg blue, I don't know, a light blue. So light it almost looks white. You're looking up a picture and trying to see if I'm right. I think he's white, but in that's the okay. mm -hmm. in the cover in the picture that you're looking at, he's dressed in white. But I think that he is wearing baby blue. Okay, I believe you. In any case, he's wearing a kind of childish-looking police uniform. Yes, I agree with that. Whether it's blue or white, mm -hmm. and the way that, like, I mean. Keeping on costume for just one more second, Susie's brothers are dressed in like really immaculate clothes. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Like a beautiful house coat that's all yeah, all very put together. Mm -hmm. This yeah, is again a Wes Anderson thing. Everyone's always put together. Yeah, the costume design is just on point. Yeah, absolutely. Where do you want to go next? Um. Well, the story. Yeah. What what appeals to you about this story? I find, despite the very flat affect of a Wes Anderson movie, I actually find this uh, to be a very sweet love story. Mm -hmm. um, and it's played for comedy, and it's played for absurdity, because mm -hmm. they're children who run out there children on the verge of adulthood and they're kind of playing they're at being They're on the verge adult. of teenagerhood. Yeah, you're right, you're right. They're not on the verge of adulthood. They're on the verge of teenagerhood. They're kind of playing at adulthood throughout and it's funny. Mm -hmm. But there's also a real sweet innocence to their 
romance. Mm -hmm. And the way that they... Like, everything about it, from the way that they immediately... I hate, usually, love at first sight, but, like, Mm. I like it in this for some reason. What bird are you? (laughs) I'm a crow. (laughs) So flat. And the way that they bond, like, we see some... It's played as love at first sight, but it also, through backstory, is played as, like, them getting to know each other. And there's, in, I think, best Wes Anderson style, there's this huge emotional depth beneath the flat affect. Mm -hmm. So, like, Susie, for example, always flat in her performance, except in flashbacks where she's, like, goes berserk, or, like, cut scenes when, like... Oh, I guess I do go berserk. Yeah. But, like, we don't see her, we don't see lo- her losing her temper. We don't see her anything. Yeah. We don't see the stabbing with the scissors that happens. But we're told, and it's a weird example of where told is better than shown. Mm. We're told that she has some kind of emotional trauma. She's a very troubled child. She has a yeah. book that she carries with her that she found her parents on her parents' books case coping with a very troubled child yeah and there's a real uh pathos to her being like very distraught and very upset and very emotionally fragile and him also like he's an orphan we see him be very flat in the affect but we get told in a i think really moving way about like he is an orphan and his foster family kicks him out because they don't because he's been like setting fires in his sleep. Yeah. And these two frankly disturbed children find each other, understand each other like no one else does. Mm-hmm. And we get all that. Like yeah. he sells all of that without them actually doing anything. Yeah. And that the adults in their lives Aside from maybe the foster parents, they do care. They just don't know what to do. Yeah. And the, like, it wasn't on your form that you're an orphan. Like, we would have done something if we had known. We just didn't know. Yeah. And Susie's parents just, like, they just don't know what to do. They want to help her. They want to... But they don't know what to do with her. And that's very... Yeah, it's... A, it's Show, there's a lot beneath the surface there that you can read into it, and you could read all this like this sadness of Sam and his and his loss and his uh, he's trying to be an adult because he doesn't know because he can't be a kid exactly. anymore. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie about childhood and adulthood. Yeah, uh, and that adds too to the like they go to this place and they rename it's like. Title Bay 45 or something, mm-hmm. and they rename it Moonrise Kingdom, which is where the title of the movie comes from. I don't think they ever actually rename it on screen. Mm. They just say, let's rename it, and the movie is called Moonrise Kingdom, and you're like, well, that must be what they renamed it. Yeah, I didn't even catch that. Um, but I guess that and she reads these fantasy books yeah. to them, aloud to him, and later to the whole Cub Scout troop, and it's like... Khaki Scout. Khaki Scout <laughs> troop. And symbolically, they're both running away from their trauma into a fantasy world with each other where they can... Yeah. 
where they don't have to cope with their sadness and mm-hmm. there's a real sadness and it's genuinely moving yeah for all the comedy and the flat affect and the i find it the most moving wes anderson movie this is what i was going to say is i think the reason i like this one best of all his movies is it's and maybe i could rewatch and find things in the other ones but i think it's uh the most hopeful the most sweet mm-hmm. the happiest in the end i think i think mm-hmm. it mostly has a happy ending for everyone and i think that's that it always happy endings appeal to me and so that's what, that's why i like this the best of all of all the wes andersons i've seen yeah do you want to talk a bit about the characters because i We've like talked a lot about Susie and sam yeah well i like what you said a second ago about how everyone's in this movie is trying to do their best is trying to help Mm -hmm. but they just don't know how yeah and i feel like again to compare it to other wes anderson movies a lot of wes anderson movies have kind of crappy people Mm -hmm. uh he likes precocious children and disaffected adults and the disaffected adults are like often sad beneath the humor Mm -hmm. i feel like this is one movie where all the characters are actually quite likable mm-hmm, beneath agree. their sadness. Yeah. He always, I think, wants you to like them despite their sadness, but sometimes they, he lands more on the pathetic, mm-hmm. and sometimes he lands more on the, like, just, you're not a good person. Yeah. <laughs> In the Royal Tannenbaums, I find f- few of the Royal Tannenbaums very likable yes, as characters. absolutely. Few of the Tannenbaums in that movie likable. Yep. Not a strike against it in terms of the sweetness and likability. Mm. But all the adults in this movie are likable, I think. Yeah, I think so. Especially by the end of the movie. Mm -hmm. I really like Edward Norton. I really like this. Yeah, so talk about Edward Norton. I mean, he's just... He's so earnest and genuine, and he cares so much about these kids, and he cares so much about, like, you know, making them good scouts and making them good people and doing everything he can to just like it's a, he's a good guy yeah and he's kind of sad and pathetic and he's yeah. like he has this whole line about your math teacher and he's like and he has to say, and he changes his mind half with the sentence that like no i'm a khaki scout leader and also a math teacher. <laughs> yeah, it's one of the funniest lines in the movie, but also has so much pathos for the character mm-hmm. that, like, what's your real job? Yeah. I'm a math teacher. Wait, I take it back. I'm a scout leader. I'm yeah. a khaki scout leader. Yeah. I'm a math teacher on the side. Mm-hmm. Earnestness is so the word. Like, yeah. He is the most earnest character I've maybe ever seen on film. <laughs> and he loses, and he's kind of incompetent because he, A, he doesn't know that... Sam is an orphan, and then he loses his entire troop. Yes. <laughs> in like, and the other leader is, strips, him of strips him of command right before then he saves his... Like, he gets redeemed. He gets to save yeah. his, the other leader's life from the just hilarious uh, series of unfortunate events that happen in this. Right. And, like, that's why I like it. It's like, he is pathetic and he's kind of stripped down that like, oh, you did things wrong and he messed up and everything. And then he redeems. He gets, he gets redemption. He has and he, the same character arc as Spider-Man in the amazing Spider-Man that we just watched. <laughs> Spider-Man Homecoming is oh, what yeah. we just watched. Sorry, that was the most <laughs> irrelevant illusion. <laughs> so that just, irrelevant. We watched it last night. 
Totally. And I love Edward Norton's performance in this. It's so good. Yep. He hits the sweet spot between, like, deadpan humor and, like, real vulnerable earnestness. Mm -hmm. Which I, is so important for yep. the character. Yep. Who else? Do you want to talk about uh, Bruce Willis's police officer? Um, yeah. I mean, he's... He's also pathetic with a happy ending. Yeah. He's this bachelor on the on this island where very I mean the population of that island seems very small. It does. Very small indeed. And he is having an affair with the with Susie's mother. Yeah. And uh it seems like he's in love with her and maybe they grew up together and he was in love with her before and then she got married to someone else. It does seem like that. And uh and, but he gets to adopt Sam, or gets to, I guess, adopt foster, foster Sam in the end. And so he notices that he, his life could have different meaning. Mm -hmm. And that his affair ends with with Susie's mother, which is a good thing, I think. Yeah. But, yeah, I don't know. He's, he's There's good. a line where uh, Susie says to... Her mother, like, I know what you do, you're doing with that dumb, sad policeman. Mm -hmm. And mother says, he's not dumb. Yeah. But I guess he is kind of sad. Sad, yeah. And there's a real, the way the movie lands is really that, like, him fostering Sam is his opportunity not to be sad anymore. Yeah, that exactly. he was seeking happiness in an affair with a married woman mm -hmm. who he could never really have. Yeah. And he finds happiness instead in caring for someone who needs his help. Yeah. And like, that's great. Yeah, it really <laughs> that's is. That's genuinely moving. Yeah. For like, you know, he's a schlub of a guy, but, and they don't, in Wes Anderson style, they don't dig into any of that. It's just kind of there. Mm-hmm. But I love it. Yeah. Do you want to talk about, uh, I don't know, Susie's mother, played by... Uh, Frances McDormand. Played by Frances McDormand. I don't know her character's name at all. But no, do you want to talk know. about her? I mean, both of her parents, they're lawyers, and so they talk to each other in lawyer speak, which is hilarious. Yes. And they're lying... They call each other counselor. Call each other counselor. And they're lying in bed talking about their cases. And in twin beds. Yeah, in twin beds talking about their cases, and you can see that this is a marriage that used to have passion and doesn't anymore. That the two of them are this married couple who've clearly been married for a long time and kind of have lost the passion. They're in these separate beds. They're doing, they're like talking only about work and stuff, and she's obviously, she's having an affair. But I think in the end, her ending the affair and they're like, it seems like there's hope for their relationship. Yeah. But also that he knew all along yeah. that, like, it wasn't a secret. Yeah. He like, knew, and her daughter knew. Yeah. And, and like, this is maybe what was breaking their family. Yeah. And you never really get any sense of the three boys. No. But, yeah. I like the moment, her moment, that turns her, in my mind, from a, you know, flat comic, fairly unlikable character to a really likable character. Her two moments are uh, 
in bed with him and he in in bed with Bill Murray's character in or in bed next to yep. twin beds next to Bill Murray's character and he is complaining about his life not being what he wanted it to be or whatever mm-hmm. and she says you know you have to do better it has to be better than that or something mm-hmm. I can't remember her words but then later when she breaks off the affair I do remember her words which is she's that's when she says to the cop to Bruce Willis's character I need to do better hmm. for everybody yeah and he says except me and she says except you yeah and I like that's again like it's played so flat it's almost funny but like that's just so genuine and vulnerable yeah Absolutely. I need to do better for everybody. And that means herself, and it means her children, and it means her husband, and mm-hmm. it means, like, I need to do better. Yeah. I lo- I, I'm a sucker for a character who wants to do better. Yeah, right? absolutely, absolutely. Um, there's a lot of side characters that are just funny. Yep. Like, uh... Um, Tilda Swinton as social services who just like her name is social services she never actually has a name it's just like you're talking to social services social services is here to do this and yeah she refers to herself as social services yeah exactly <laughs> and her costuming and like this like little like all this blue and this little like nurse's hat almost but like yeah. it's a very severe oh it was just that was beautiful I loved her character yeah she's fantastic and, in this um, what's his name the cousin or whatever they have at the other khaki i can't it's remember the like actor's name steven schwartzman jason schwartzman jason schwartzman, jason schwartzman. Ah. i always get him and uh silverman confused yeah. from fargo yeah i can see it yeah anyway uh he's just like a funny side character as well with his Except he's great he's more than just funny though he's another one who has this real pathos underneath like he's chewing you know he's uh I don't know if he's chewing gum. They're all chewing gum and he makes it all spit it out. But yeah. He's like, walk and talk, no nonsense. I've got a plan. Treating them in a comic way, talking to them as if they're adults. And his speech about like, you're going to marry each other. It won't hold up in any legal or in yeah. any court of law in the state or like city or the world. But the ritual itself does carry a certain moral weight within yourselves. And he does it so sincere and deadpan that it's hilarious. But he, there's a real uh, earnestness to that character too in the way that like, this is my fee, I get my fee. And then he gives his fee back That's to them true, to yeah. start them on a good life. And like, it's hilarious because they're 13 or 14 or whatever but it's like he what we see of him is so not cynical at all Mm -hmm. absolutely and i really like him as a character a lot yeah like he's just trying to help he's just trying to start those two kids off right yeah he's he's very immature in that way that he thinks he can marry two 12 year olds and have it yeah be anything but yeah it's still pretty good He's immature, but he's like all the characters in this movie. He's genuinely doing his best to do the right thing by the people he meets. And, like, it's kind of heartwarming. Yeah, absolutely. So, in the end, this is a great movie, I think. Yeah, I recommend it. I don't know what. I mean, I'm sure. Oh, we can talk about, actually, before we finish. Yep. Let's talk about the music a bit. Mm, yeah. Because it's important in this movie. Yeah, it does have... 
mm. very significant music. Wes Anderson has record players. It's uh, that's a common thread throughout all of his movies, and that's also a thing in Legion record mm-hmm. players. Definitely, and like Legion, the movie, the music in Wes Anderson movies. Wes Anderson, like Noah Hawley, is a creator who for whom music is obviously very important. Very important, yeah. And, you know, you can watch a movie and you can tell sometimes when the music is an afterthought mm-hmm. and when it is the first thought. Yep. When it's like, I want to set a scene to the young people's guide to the orchestra. Mm-hmm. What's the scene going to be? Here it is. And yep. I feel like that's how this went. Like, Benjamin yeah, Britten's exactly. place in this movie feels to me like it came very early. Yeah, I'd say Is so. the conception of the movie. Mm-hmm. And so much good to say... Not least of which is, I just genuinely love Benjamin Britten. Mm-hmm. So him showing up was just uh, one of these things, like when something you love shows up and something else you love. Yep, absolutely. Like I, I'm a big, my brother uh, is introduced me, introduced me to Benjamin Britten and he's the kind of person who has a favorite composer and his favorite mm-hmm. composer is Benjamin Britten. Mm-hmm. And so from childhood... I've had Benjamin Britten like played at me and explained to me and why he's so great. And so I just really, really like Benjamin Britten. Him showing up is great. And it's also just so perfect for mm-hmm. the scene. And then later there's an opera also by Britten oh, that yeah. they go to. That's or an um, operetta or whatever mm-hmm. of Noah's Ark. Mm-hmm. And then the other music choices are all good also, but the Benjamin Britten specifically I want to draw attention to, and I don't know if I have much more profound to say than just, I it's really, really it's yeah. really good, it's really appropriate, starting off with the young person's guide to the orchestra, because it's a young person's guide to something is so fitting to this movie about young people trying to be adults, and mm-hmm. it's like how to, here's how to listen to classical music. Yep. And then two, that it's like this narrated introduction uh, music going over the introduction to the characters and the set and the scene, and it's something that's happening. Um, it's diegetic, which is to say it's music that the characters are really playing and listening to, mm-hmm. but it also fits exactly with what the camera is showing us, and when the camera cuts away to other things, the music continues, and is like, yeah. let me show you part, part, and then that the young person's guide to the orchestra is a theme and variations. And then what we see in the movie is a theme and variations and variations and variations on love and growing and adulthood. And Mm -hmm. and we keep coming back to these same things. Yeah, absolutely. So the whole music, but especially the young person's guide Mm -hmm. to the orchestra at the beginning. I think it also says something about Susie's family. Yeah. They're not listening to rock music on their, on their, uh, little record player, they're listening to the young person's guide to the orchestra, like, the, this is the kind of family that they're in, that they're, this is what they would listen to, much like your family would listen to them. Like, no, was, that's the kind of family you grew up in. I was just about to say, we need to get the young person's guide to the orchestra and play it for our children. Is it on Spotify? Probably, but that's interrupted by commercials. We need to get it on CD. <laughs> <laughs> CD? What is this, 1994? Right? <laughs> we need to get an old-fashioned record player. <laughs> the other thing, I mean, like, record those record players, them going off on a stupid tangent, but, like, you know what we can't do, what our kids can't do anymore that I could do because I had a toy record player and that these kids and the characters can do is 
pick a song for themselves, put it on and listen to it as like their own thing. I'm, yeah. I'm bored. I'm going to do something. And the thing I'm going to do is listen to a song that I choose to listen to. Yeah. Just music now is so mediated through computers that like they can do it, but they have to like sign, ask if they can use the computer and sign in and Spotify's on shuffle or, you know, like, yeah, there's just layers of difficulty that, yeah, to find the song on YouTube and yeah. listen to it that way. Yeah, there's a lot of, yeah, anyway. I agree with that. I like the music in this. Is all is comes back to the ending, mm-hmm. and it's really well chosen, and it's great. Yeah, absolutely. Moonrise Kingdom is a great movie. It's got some connection to Legion. Les Anderson in general has a connection to Legion. Yeah. And yeah, this was a fun little experiment here. I didn't expect us to be able to talk so long about it, but we were. It's good. Yeah, we were going to record and Jan was dragging her feet and being like, I just don't know that this has anything at all to do with Legion. What are we even going to say about it? (laughs) But then I remember the first season, the first episode. I mean, the first episode has a lot of moments. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, so if you want to talk to us at all about uh, Moonrise Kingdom or, or tell us what your favorite Wes Anderson movie is, you can contact us on Twitter, ClockworksCast. Uh, we're on Facebook, we're on Instagram, we're on Reddit, we're on every social media you might ever want to. Should we join Mastodon? That's apparently the new I've flavor. never heard of it and oh. we'll never join it. Okay, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> Look for our Mastodon account next week. Probably, Probably not. Um, you can email us if you want to talk to something either longer or slightly more slightly private. more private than Twitter. We have an email, which is clockworkscast at gmail.com. Uh, and we'll get back to you if mm-hmm. you email us there. To support any of our podcasting efforts, patreon.com slash clockworkscast. And that goes to both this, this podcast and our Way Too Seriously cast and future podcasts that might come out there. So... Thanks for listening so much. I've been Jan Moffat. I've been Paul Moffat. Goodbye.